0: thank you pastor also wanted to mention to you that on thursday nights beginning this thursday dave shooter will be reading leading us in the study of ephesians now our ladies will be doing that also on wednesday mornings in uh, the near future but uh, another opportunity for us to learn a wonderful deep and profound book as dave leads us on thursday evenings that's at six thirty each thursday And now I ask you to turn your attention to God's word as we continue through Luke coming to chapter 5. We we started out um, in the book there um, dealing with the Lord Jesus when he was uh, a child of 12. We made our way through chapter 4 and then we jumped back to chapter 1 as we uh, found ourselves in the Advent season. And so then, having caught back up to where we started, we're leapfrogging over and picking up with chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 11. This is the word of God. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And may the Lord bless this reading of his word as we give him praise for it. Amen. A man was telling me one time about the time that his house caught on fire and that he and his family had to get up in the middle of the night in a hurry and leave everything behind and they lost a great deal in the fire he joked about it later and he said you know i began to suspect something was wrong he said i I found out later that as my wife was leading the kids out the door she said be careful and don't wake up daddy And I realized that he had passed the moment of grieving over the loss and was able at least to come up with some sort of humor about all that they had left behind. And yet, do we not find ourselves in a similar circumstance? Everything in this life is extraordinarily temporary. And the older we get, I think the more we realize how faster time is going by and we realize just how brief life really is. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is it that I'm holding on to? What is it that I'm unwilling to let go of? What is it that is standing between me and a more vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ? What am I not leaving behind? It's probably not fishing nets, but it likely is something. And it's a question worth asking. When we come to this passage, it is a wondrous thing as we see the Lord Jesus beginning in earnest his public ministry. And we know that he came preaching the gospel. He came commanding people to repent and to believe in the gospel. And on this occasion, as he is preaching, and remember, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to proclaim the kingdom of God. The crowd was pressing in on him so that we see, in a sense, two messages here. You have Jesus proclaiming the word of God from the land until the crowds are pressing in on him so much that he has to look for another means of delivering the message. And it's important to note this, that he alters his method, but he doesn't change his mission or his message. We get those things confused in our day because the church, it seems, and I use the word in a broad sense, people are looking for ways to be relevant, to have an audience. To be able to gain a hearing. And many times we're altering the message rather than just the method. And we see that in our culture. When the church is seeking to make itself relevant, but isn't it ironic? The more that we try to do that, the more we make ourselves irrelevant. It is when we stick to the message that God has inspired and given us that we find ourselves to be the most relevant. Because after all, this is the word of God. The crowd pressed in on him to hear the word, and not having a place to stand, he looked for a place that he could deliver the message, and so he borrowed Simon's boat and put out a little from land. That's pretty innovative. As we think about it, I'm not sure that, I'm certain I wouldn't have thought of it, but that's what he did, and so he sat down, which was what teachers did in that day. John may do that this evening. I don't know. We have to make accommodations, so we'll probably have that. It's around here somewhere. We have a stool for that purpose. By the way, I just want to say, not to brag, John mentioned the choir earlier, and we sure are grateful, but I don't want to brag about this, but I picked up a stool for five bucks at a resale shop many months ago, and boy, we've gotten some good use out of that thing. That's about the best $5 I've spent since I've been here. I know that doesn't go any way toward helping you to justify the salary that you pay me, but at least I wanted to brag on something. So Jesus sits and he teaches. Yes, different circumstances may require different methods. Isn't it wonderful that we find ourselves in this age, knowing that uh, while the Internet can be used for a lot of nefarious purposes, we've got a camera up there and we're able to have a live worldwide broadcast. Who would have thought that would have been possible 30 years ago that a congregation like this one could have a, A live broadcast that would go literally around the world. We've got people watching these things from Australia and Finland. I don't know who those people are. Um, But it's extraordinary. So we're able to use that method to have a wider hearing. And I think that's altogether proper. Another lesson to be gained from this is that Jesus is the master of every situation. And we therefore can trust him. Now, here you have professional fishermen. After Jesus has finished preaching, you know, he tells Simon to take his boat out and let his net down in the deep. Now, here is a carpenter's son telling a fisherman how to catch fish. Now, if we look at that on the face of it, it, you know, can remind you of a lot of things. I remember in the first church that we served, we were uh, doing some work in the house where we were living the manse next door to the church and uh there was a attic fan there that wasn't being used because they after installing the attic fan some years later had put in central air conditioning one of the great blessings of the lord on earth is central air it didn't need the attic fan because we found out when we turned that thing on it sucked everything into the house that kathy and i were allergic to so it wasn't serving any purpose so Because I was able to get up in the crawl space of the attic, I was up there trying to find the wire to disconnect so that uh, they could take that fan loose. And one of the elders was up there helping me. And one of the other elders down below said, you know, we're in trouble when a preacher and a plumber are up in the attic doing electrical work. I disconnected the fan. And through every breaker in the house. But hey, we were able to take it out. We're not, any of us, master of anything at any given moment. No matter what we think we know, we must trust in the one who truly does know all things. That's why we need Jesus. And in order to learn what we need to know, we often have to set aside what we think we know. The learning process means unlearning, or as Will Rogers used to say, the problem isn't what we don't know, it's what we know that ain't so is the problem. And many people today are walking around with confidence in something that they really don't know. But here Jesus reveals himself in a wonderful way to these fishermen and to Simon in particular. Simon thought he knew about fish. But what he really needed to know is Jesus. Whatever it is you think you know, you need to know Jesus. He's the only one who can rescue us from this fire, from this house that's burning. The only one who can get us out of here. And it's necessary that we listen to him. And I would have you note that as Jesus gives this instruction to uh, take the boat out to a deeper place and let down the nets but this is probably happening midday after all he's been teaching for some time and so it's in the middle of the day and that's not the place that you would go it's not the a fisherman's instinct to go to a deep location in the lake to let the nets down in the in the middle of the day but simon obeys however he does it with misgivings he wants the lord to know that You know, we've worked at this all night. We didn't take anything. But if you say so, notice his obedience is imperfect, as is our obedience. No matter what we do, even though we may do it with the best of intentions, at any given moment, our obedience is tainted with our own sinful condition. We all have doubts you may have had doubts this morning worship service started earlier you may have been asking yourself why am i getting up and getting ready to do this again what value is there in it now maybe you weren't maybe maybe all of you were all into it and you would have come two hours earlier if we'd had the service and wouldn't have questioned it but i suspect there are at least some here who are asking yourself the question why bother why go to this trouble might have been something on television you wanted to watch or something you wanted to pick up that you've been reading and get back to that rather than come to a worship service. What I'm suggesting is that we are here today, all of us, in one degree or another, with less than perfect intentions. But when you put your trust in Jesus and follow him, he transforms that imperfect obedience into something wondrous. And the results are amazing. So, yes, here with less than perfect intentions, that's okay. We serve a perfect God and we serve a perfect savior. Faith means that we obey, even though we may have doubts or misgivings, because that's a part of the Christian experience. The other thing we need to recognize, just as the disciples recognized letting down the nets, having toiled all night, knowing that there wasn't anything there, knowing Those nets were so filled up, they began to break. And it didn't say that they broke. It said they began to break. And suddenly they realized they weren't dealing with just a carpenter's son. And such is the case with all who come to Jesus. No matter who we may perceive him to be, we find him to be so much more than that. And so Jesus is more awesome than we can imagine. And at the same time just as simon bowed how is it that he bowed at his knees remember jesus is seated in the boat so he falls at his knees wants him to depart from him now that's a that's not a literal expression he didn't expect jesus to get up and step out of the boat into the sea the lake of Gennesaret. But nevertheless simon felt undone in the presence of the lord and all he could think of was depart from me i am so unworthy so while jesus is more awesome than we can imagine our sins are more than guilty feelings now many a therapist today rather than deal with guilt will simply try to convince people that that guilt is an unnecessary feeling and will Simply, in so many words, though they will say it in a more sophisticated way, we will just simply try to get you to feel better about yourself. Go have a cup of ice cream. Or metaphorically, a piece of cake. Don't worry about it. Now, again, they'll say it in a lot more sophisticated way than that, but the reality is we feel guilty because we are. Why won't people say that? It is the natural condition when we encounter a God who is holy and a Savior who is glorious. So when the Lord displayed his knowledge and power, they were astonished. Notice nobody got up at that point and said, wow, we've been making money and fishing. Just think of what we can do now. That seemed not to be a thought that was on anyone's mind. The thought that overwhelmed them was, who is this man? What manner of man is this? And suddenly they felt so unworthy. They went from wondering, what does this carpenter's son know about fishing, to being astounded and feeling as if they ought to be anywhere but there. It's amazing when we truly experience the love of God that we have those seemingly conflicting feelings, isn't it? That on the one hand, we realize God loves us with an everlasting love, but then immediately almost it comes to mind, but why me? How could he love a sinner like me? And yet he does. Simon falls in reverence and awe, just as we are called to do, crying out, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, not just, Lord, I feel like I'm guilty, help me get over it. I am a sinful man. I have fallen so far short of your glory. Oh, nobody yelled out, what a catch we made. But notice how Jesus responds. He neither downplays the guilt, nor does he treat it as an illusion. That's what we tend to do. Downplay it or pretend like as they would in Eastern mysticism. There's just no such thing as guilt. It's, It's all an illusion. Of course, they think all of life is an illusion, too. Instead, Jesus does the extraordinary. He neither downplays it nor pretends it. It is an illusion. He removes our sin and guilt. We have to say that. We don't see the cross here in this passage, but we know that Jesus came for the purpose of dying on the cross, making atonement for our sins. He deals with our guilt, our shame, our sin by removing them as far from us as the east is from the west. He deals with it. And so he transforms this uh, fishing expedition into a rescue operation. Don't lose sight of this. What, after all, happens when you're fishing? And you may never been fishing in your life, but you understand the concept. You're snagging those creatures from the water, and they die. They have to die in order for us to consume them, Right? But suddenly Jesus transforms that activity into suggesting that, no, rather than snatching fish from a lake wherein they die, we're going to catch people so that they may live. And those of us who have been swept up in the gospel net are forever grateful as he has ushered us from death to life. Yes, it becomes a rescue operation. These men leave behind an old way of living for a new way of life. Isn't it time to just stop existing and realize what life is for? To find yourself reconciled with the creator, the one with whom we have fallen out of fellowship. And know what it means to be loved by him and to be guided by him. You see, when we follow Jesus, saving lives becomes more important than the bottom line. Suddenly they weren't concerned about the living that they were able to obtain by catching those fish. Suddenly they realized life is so much more than throwing nets in the water. It wasn't about how many material resources they had. It was about knowing the great resource they had in the Savior. And when we follow Jesus, we get to see what he can do as opposed to what we can do. They had fished all night and had nothing to show for it. And suddenly, in a moment, because they listened to Jesus, they had more fish than they knew what to do with. The boats were sinking in the water. And thus, Christ provides for us when we leave behind whatever pittance it might be that we would obtain using our own ability and when we trust in him. It's not a matter of what we are able to do. It's a matter of what he can do through us and in us. So by calling them to follow him, These fishermen. After all, he's not dealing with preachers or professors or executives, but fishermen. And he shows us that impressive resumes are not necessary. What qualifies you to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you think you have a qualification, then you don't understand who the Savior is. All that we have, any of us, truly, regardless of our giftedness and talents, which I admit can be Quite amazing. But in the end, the only thing that really qualifies us to be a follower of Jesus is the sin that would keep us from him. And that he takes away. And thus, we have a Savior to whom we surrender as Lord. So don't look to your resume, your supposed qualifications. Look at Jesus and what qualifies him. To be the one who rescues you. They left behind everything. They left everything to follow him. Matthew and Mark both say immediately they left their nets and followed him. Matthew further says immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Speaking of the sons of Zebedee. Hmm. Because there's nothing in this life worth holding on to. If he keeps us from Jesus. So leave behind whatever is keeping you from following Jesus. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And that thing can be anything. Material possessions. Some philosophical notion or idea that you may have picked up in school. Or you might have even heard it from a pulpit like this one. From somebody who should have been preaching the scriptures, but instead fills your mind with something else. Whatever that thing is. Surrender it. Let go of it. What were those fishing nets anyway? They were a means for making a living, but they would never obtain real life for those men. Jim Elliott, missionary who gave his life 1957 in South America, speared to death on the bank of a river. Many people would say he wasted his life there along with the others who were killed with him. But he left behind in his diary words that have inspired generations since. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. That's something to take with you. All the possessions and all the things that we can't keep anyway. Giving up in order to obtain something which cannot be taken from us. They said years ago in Bryson City, North Carolina, which is in Swain County, western part of the state, there was a a man who had made his wife promise that she would put all of his money in the casket when he died that he had obtained. And he uh, he had quite a bank account when he passed away. And so she obediently did it. They said she wrote out a check for the entire (laughs) amount, put it right there in the casket, so that he could take it with him. I'm sure that's apocryphal. The story probably changes versions when it's told from one place to another. But you get my point. What good was that check to that man? was of no value whatsoever. But whatever it is that we do leave behind, if we have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, think of what we do gain. An inheritance that will never be diminished in value. A treasure that will never be taken from our hands. Thieves will never break in and steal it. Moths and rust will never corrupt it. It will be something that will only grow in value as we live eternally because of what the lord jesus has done for us and so disciples he calls us to be not just people who profess religion but a people who yield and turn and repent from sin and trust in him in order to have what the world can never produce for us i don't care how big the lottery gets I don't care how large of a salary you may obtain, nothing compares with what we have in the Lord Jesus. And that's what those fishermen decided on that day. It's a greater cause to which we're called. And there is no greater one to follow than Jesus, because there is no other name greater than his. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we exalt you, O Lord, and give you praise and thanks. That in this moment together, we've had the opportunity to consider something so glorious and wonderful that words fail us. We can never think deeply enough to be able to plumb the depths of the love and mercy and knowledge of the Savior. But Father, grant that based on what we do know by faith, we all may continually yield ourselves and surrender. That we, too, may follow the Master and experience real life. Lord, I'm grateful for those fish that fill those nets. I wasn't there to see it, and I can only imagine what that moment was like. But I'm grateful, Father, that where our parents once upon a time failed in the garden and their dominion over the fish, that Jesus demonstrates that there is restoration in him and that in that catch we see the one who has all power, who has all dominion, and who is able to save us to the uttermost. And so we praise the name of Jesus, even as we pray in his name. Amen. Jesus, draw me close. Let's sing it together and let's pray it from our hearts as we worship the Lord together. Stand with me if you're able and let's sing. Lost and lost you. For I to and Remember, you have the opportunity to participate in Sunday school if you want to make your way to the fellowship hall, Dr. Poland will lead you. But wherever you go this day, go with the Lord's blessing to that end. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, amen.